to end if love remains a unique show spotlighting people ideas science culture and art your host mike lovett hey rachel thanks a million for that introduction this is mike lovett indeed again how lucky are you to listen to me <laughs> And uh, I'm here with a good friend of mine. I'm here with Mr. Matt Wharton. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's good to have you here. It's wonderful. We're trying a little bit different setup, so if it sounds a little different, please bear with it. Uh, but we're going to do the best we can. But this will be fun. I'm, I'm excited to have you on. Welcome to And If Love Remains. Thank you. We've... <laughs> We've talked about this for a while. I've looked forward to it. Yeah, we have. We have. And, you know, we have abundance of things that we could talk about. Um, but I want to just like, I want to talk about something real quick. Because, um, you know, you're a successful businessman. You're a, you're an entrepreneur. Um, you're a guy who is, has kind of made it happen. Um, but you have a really unique outlook i think on success and what brings success um that you know maybe we could talk about a little bit if you don't mind sure so um and i think it's something that a lot of people would like to hear um so maybe let's start a little bit just a, a touch on your um your background where you came from and and you know how you started your business and and you know um let's, let's start there okay i was born in Salt Lake City in 1967 and uh, my dad was a school teacher when I was young he was finishing his school in University of Utah and in Utah State so we lived in Logan for a little while okay and then he took his first job in Idaho Falls Idaho so most of my young years I spent there up till the second grade and then we moved back to Utah and we lived in a little town called Price and it was a coal mining town and I found that town to be very interesting. Uh, there was a lot of geologic formations there and we had these mountains that had shale and slate and we would find fossils and fossils of plants and little critters and yeah. My mom and dad gave me some freedom to go out and play and have fun on, in the outdoors during that time. And then after the fourth grade, my dad took another job in Idaho. And so we moved back to a town called Aberdeen and we spent the next 12 years there. My family did. I graduated from high school and then I went to two years of college at Idaho State University. At the end of that second year of college, my dad came and picked me up from the school at the very last day, right? I had just finished my last final and he came to pick me up and he said, hey, Matt, we're going to Arizona. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> so he literally loaded my bags and all my things from college and we headed off and wow got to, yeah we left at about two in the afternoon and we or we landed up in the white mountains at about two in the morning so and the reason why we did that is because my dad even though he was a school teacher he would moonlight in the summer times of doing construction and building and he has two twin sisters that live here in mesa and they wanted to build a log cabin. Okay. So they had purchased a piece of property in what's called Starlight Pines, and it's kind of between Clint's Well and Flagstaff, up in that area. And so we went and helped build their cabin for them. Wow. And one of the unique features of the cabin was is that at that time, the logs in Island Park, Idaho, had been 
killed by these tree beetles. And so there was a lot of dead stand logs. And so they would cut the lodgepole pines down. And then what they did is they milled them on two sides mm -hmm. so that they were flat, six inches thick. And then my job for that summer was to skin the bark off the trees <laughs> by hand with a draw knife oh, like wow. they used to do in the 1800s. <laughs> so needless, Old school, baby. <laughs> needless to say, I was in superb physical condition <laughs> at the end of that summer. And I helped my dad build, build a beautiful log cabin for them. And that was one of my first experiences of doing a whole project from basically from start to finish. My dad had built four houses during the summertime, his summer break during school. Mm -hmm. And I would always help him. Right. But it was sporadic help because I was a kid. But by the time you've had a couple years of college, you're more mature and you're an adult. Right. And so uh Keep in mind, time frame wise, this was in 1987. Okay. So uh, right after that, I that took us almost a year. And then I was called to serve on a mission for my church. And I left for two years to the exotic South Dakota Rapid City Mission. <laughs> and that's the mission that they would send all the guys to that they were a little worried might get into trouble. <laughs> there's nothing to do to get into trouble in South Dakota. So they figured I'd be safe there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just That's kidding. Funny. <laughs> Just kidding. I was a good missionary. Anyway, we I, when I came home, then my parents had then settled in Mesa, being that we were in Arizona permanently they sold their house in Idaho and moved here permanently to Arizona and they had purchased a piece of property and so right as I arrived at home my dad was ready to start building a house okay so it was going to be for him and my mom to live in yeah and so we then commenced to build the house and by that time, I was even a couple years older and much more serious and much more mature and uh, was really thinking about my future and how I was going to earn a living and so on and so forth. And I'd had two years of college at Idaho State, and my intention was to commence with college again at ASU. Right. So I enrolled and I went to about three weeks of college there at ASU, but the week before I had gotten married. Uh huh. And so I had financial responsibilities. Right. My wife wanted to be with me. I was. <laughs> and this was before you had unlimited student loans to get. <laughs> yeah, I was paying for college. I right. had to pay for my, all my stuff. So. Uh, I was working virtually full time and going to school. Wow. And I was working doing construction because my parents' house was finished by then and we'd moved them in. So I went to work for some friends of mine and my cousin helped me to get a job and and it was doing insurance restoration work. So I was doing construction. Mm-hmm. And being that I was going to teach was my profession that I was shooting for, I realized that teachers were not well paid. Yeah. And I quickly realized that I could make much more money doing construction and providing that service for people than I would be able to make if I was to become a teacher. Yeah. And the demand of going to school and working and earning money and being with a new bride. And she got pregnant with our first daughter almost immediately. So there was a lot going on. Right. And so I approached my boss and I said, hey, I'm going to quit school. I was prayerful about that. And I felt like that would be a good thing for me to do. And I have never looked back. Yeah. 
So I get a lot of teaching opportunity from church. So that fulfilled that need. And then I was an artist. I, I had an art minor at college. So doing construction, there was a lot of opportunity for me to be an artist. Oh, too. yeah. Do design and do. Yeah. Yeah. Building showers and doing tile work and all of that. There's two things I want to touch on just on your story that that you went as you and I have discussed, you know, we've been friends for a long time. Um, so I want to kind of touch on this. And the first thing is uh, you love the idea of being able to build something that's real. You love the idea of, be, you know, being able to to build something, period. Like oh, yeah. you get great. You seem to get great joy from that. I do. And then the second thing is what you said just earlier is, is you know, serving people, you know, through construction. I, and I don't think a lot of people think of their jobs um, in or out of construction, but they think they don't think of it as like the, the service that they provide. So maybe touch on those two things, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah, the there's no better feeling than being beat tired with a check in your back pocket at one with the seat in your truck driving <laughs> home with a great attaboy from your customer because you just took their house from what they considered mediocre at best or lower to the vision that they had in their mind and when you're able to produce and accomplish that for someone and they really express their gratitude and their acceptance for what you've done there is a great feeling that goes along with that and you can look at what you did and it's a piece of artwork every time yeah because you've improved it and for some reason, I seem to have a propensity for knowing how to do it, how to produce it quickly. And I instinctively know what the tolerances are for what's acceptably good or what is not necessary. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Because sometimes when people do construction or do artwork, they spend huge amounts of time and they don't know what's good enough or what isn't good enough mm -hmm. and they're confused or they're quick and sloppy and they don't go to the right amount yeah. of detail there is a fine line and i you know as a songwriter i understand that too like right. at what point is the song done at what point is the project done and and because you can you can work on it forever you you know yeah. you either run out of time that's the joke in art is that you, you don't finish you just run out of time yeah you know but but knowing when is it a, a, an appropriate place to end is an important thing to know yeah, it is important and and that's a large part of the battle that people don't really understand well and the other thing in your business especially is you're dealing with other people's money you know like like right. the time your time is costing them money and yeah. so knowing that, that, I mean, that's an art in itself. Yeah. They have to feel that the value of what they've paid for is what they're getting. Right. And when they see you going to the extra mile to complete every detail and that those details are done well, yeah, they know that they've received they're happy to pay for what they've done what what you've done for them right and it's a very symbiotic good feeling and it's kind of sad because back in the old days to be in construction or to be a carpenter was very highly renowned it was thought of highly like what we would think of a doctor or a a lawyer or somebody that's been highly educated and and has went through a lot of schooling and apprenticeship to to become what they are but for some reason in our modern world there's less how can i put it people don't recognize or acknowledge the value yeah of someone that knows how to do something and 
there's a trend in our society right now where there's very few people that are interested in doing construction for whatever reason i don't know there's ample money to be made in it yeah but people seem to gravitate toward desk jobs or computer jobs or white collar instead of the blue collar type jobs and there's a trend where we're gonna in five to ten to fifteen years from now if things don't change there's going to be a, a huge shortage of people who have not been apprenticed and we're, they're going to lack people to work in the service industry and i think there's something you said it earlier that i think a lot of people haven't um maybe a lot of people i don't know but but it, you know having um the feeling of being beat tired and having you know a check in your in your pocket I and mean, that was such yeah, it was poetry what you said <laughs> it was it was beautiful but having that feeling of putting in a really hard day's work you know sweat on the brow you know dirt under the fingernails um you know a lot of uh, there's there there are people that that don't get the opportunity to experience that yeah you know I'm, I'm a musician so i like you know i could point you know you know i've put in some hard days in my time but it's a you know to make that a career to, to find that joy like that's mm -hmm. there's there's a there is a, a a joy that can be found in that kind of work there really is there's it's very rewarding and in respect to the service aspect of it so many people want to do projects in their home but it's a scary thing to allow people to come into your home that possibly you don't know. Yeah. You, you have to have a certain amount of trust for an individual that you're allowing to come into your sacred space. So I feel like that's another area where I've been able to succeed in is that I'm able to put people at ease mm -hmm. fairly rapidly. They quickly see that I know what I'm doing and they feel confident that they're going to get the value that they're looking for and that the end product is going to be proper and not only that but they aren't compromising themselves in that they're going to have something stolen or right something inappropriate is going to happen and so what's ended up happening over the years is that i've gotten a reputation i hope i don't sound braggadocious because i'm not like that i am proud of myself but yeah i don't feel like i'm you know anybody particularly special but i have had a lot of success that i'm appreciative of and people have continued to call and call and told people about me and so now i've literally went from where I used to work on my own, did all my own stuff. And then I hired a helper and trained my helper how to do things. And then he got one of his friends to come and work and then his brother. And then they got, I trained them and they became a whole crew. And it got to the point where I was just going to get lunch sometimes and going <laughs> and fetching materials for them at Home Depot. And, and then I would just give them guidance. And then it got to the point where they just did, they knew what to do. So all I had to do was check in on them once or twice a day. Coordinate. The... And coordinate and make sure that they had good communication. And then I divided them up and made two crews out of them. And so <laughs> then I started juggling two crews, which then became three and four and six and eight and at one point in time many years ago i had 19 crews of tile guys going and wow <laughs> it was a rat race but we did it then the economic downturn occurred. right this was before 2008 yeah it was 2008 yeah so during that time that was an interesting time that everything tanked down and I obviously didn't have enough work to do to keep all of those crews busy, but I started to work 
with my favorite crews mm -hmm. and I had enough work to keep about three or four crews going through that whole time. But I had the privilege of putting my bags back on and actually getting down and going back to work. So all through those years for about six years, I, I worked just as hard as I ever had physically. Yeah. And, uh, not only did I work, but I ran crews on the side from a distance. So I had to look at new jobs, bid them, do my job, watch the other guys' jobs, but it worked great. We weathered the storm. We weathered through it. We emerged and, yeah. uh, and I've kept on rolling in business from that time. So, uh, you never know what's around the next corner. We don't know what, where things are going, but for thus far, it's been very good. And that's the other thing, uh, I, as an entrepreneur, and, and I can very much relate to this, you know, you, you do at times, always, <laughs> at times, always feel, <laughs> feel like you've got one foot on a, um, you know, on an ice block and another foot on a banana peel. Like you never know oh, yeah. what, what the next day is going to come, you know, what, um, you know, something's, you know, you're, when you're, when it is to be, it's up to me, you know, that also means that when the truck blows up, like that's your cash, that's got to yeah. take care of it. When, when, you know, a crew screws screw something up, you know, that's your money that you've got to take care of. And, and, um, you know, how, how do you, um, negotiate those kind of the unknown in your mind because it, it really is a mindset more than like I think even more than being prepared it's a mindset of 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 faith you know to be oh, an entrepreneur absolutely and I'm glad you brought that up because like I've never been trained as to how to run a business it's been school of hard knocks all the way and one bit of advice was get a good bookkeeper yeah. So I got a great bookkeeper. But aside from that, it is a connection directly with God that allows me personally to function in the way that I do. Because there are literally days when I don't know what to do first and what order of things to do. There's so many things that are coming at me so fast that it becomes confusing and I literally every morning pray and I ask my heavenly father to, to guide me in my directions as to how I govern my, my affairs. Because like you say, there are always things that occur that are unbeknownst. Yeah. Sometimes my guys make boo-boos and we have to go in and fix them and so I've paid them to do the work and then I have to either buy new materials or pay somebody else or lose the time that they would be on another job. So there's and sometimes the phone doesn't ring. Sometimes <laughs> I thank goodness, knock on wood, I've never had to deal with that too yeah. much. I've for whatever reason I've always had talk about that though. I think because I think there is you know, I, a lot of people would say luck. And I think I have no problem with saying, you know, people are lucky. Like, I'm okay with that. But I also think you know, that you can put yourself in the way of luck. And you can, and, and so talk about like, um, I mean, I, I could talk about myself and, 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 you know, how people, you know, feel like they feel comfortable calling me for, for my work. But I want you to explain Again, it's a mindset of, of, of faith, um, knowing that that phone will ring um, and, and that the seeds that you throw out there will be harvested somehow. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for kinetic energy and momentum. Oh, that's, yeah. So those two principles I, I rely on a lot and like, there's always acceleration from a point of complete stationary, being completely stationary to a velocity. And so I had to start from a stationary point. And 
call this esoteric if you want to, but as you create a clearing mentally, physically, and spiritually and prepare yourself to do a task, then that emanates out from you in a, in a invisible way. And there, there's maybe clues and hints that you're giving to people on the way, but you just build a little bit, like little by little by little. And pretty soon, you, I, I like to use the, you, you twist the rubber band up and you keep twisting <laughs> and you keep twisting, you know, because it, it, it'll even knot up on itself a little bit. But, you know, we, when we had little cars and yeah. things when we were kids, we'd <laughs> twist up the rubber band and then it would make the car go, you yeah, know, yeah. so we, we twist up our rubber band and, and there's a certain amount of, of, of momentum and kinetic energy that one just cannot start like that and have a, like a large business where you're running millions of dollars a year. Right. You have to start somewhere smaller and be educated an easier way into that. And so for whatever reason, that's occurred for me. And I think being consistent, like my life is very methodical and very routine oriented. Like I do the same thing every day. Every week is very rigid. Mm -hmm. I get up at five in the morning and I'm on my jobs and in my office by six and I'm the first guy to be working and I'm the last guy to be working every day. And my guys, my workers, my customers, they just have a trust that I'm going to be there, that I'm going to help them. Because not only am I serving my customers, but I'm serving my guys too, because they are my stewardship and I have to make sure that they have work every day, that they have a paycheck every week and that we're orchestrating and producing the work in such a way that the timing is going to land to be able to have all of that happen just right. And it takes a very concerted effort to make that occur every day right and every week and every year so there's but there's something too that um if if you you can plan like you can put all your you know all the plans of mice and men like you can you can plan and put that effort in but at the end of the day it's about you know um it's not about that it's the reward that you receive is nebulous until it's not right. Yeah. <laughs> like until you get that check. Yeah. It's, it's, it's everything you do is an act of faith. Everything yeah. that you do is, is like, okay, you know, um, it's, you have an agreement, you know, but it's still like everything you do is, is, is a, about a matter of trust, yeah. both between you and the customer, you and your guys. I mean, I think that's a powerful thing. It's interesting that once again, the esoteric nature of this, I have often thought of the children of Israel as they walked through the desert when Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. And for a period of time, they ate the manna. And the Lord told them that you guys you know, six days of the week, you can go out, you collect your manna, and that's your food for the day. And so some days they would try to collect more manna than they <laughs> needed for the day. And they found that whenever they did that, that the manna would get worms in it and it was unedible. However, there was one day of the week that they could collect enough mana for two days and then that mana didn't spoil, but it stayed good through the Sabbath. And I've always found that when you're in the groove with God and the universe and whatever you want to call it, that 
there's always sufficient for your needs and for everyone else's needs. There might not be a lot left over in the end, but if you do have left over, there's usually always something that it has been earmarked for <laughs> that you just don't know what it is yet. Right. But when you have it, you're like, oh, wow, I've got a little extra money. And then like in a very brief amount of time, oh, I'm sure glad I had that extra <laughs> amount of money. And it's such an interesting phenomenon to see the workings of that clock, how all the cogs and the gears and everything match up and turn and twist and that you always have enough. Yeah. And it, it's always, to me, seemingly miraculous that somebody greater than myself is orchestrating that. And it, it really gives me a testimonial that there is a higher being, a higher power God that has our best interest in mind and I'm simply one of those cogs in the wheel of whatever little microcosmic clock that I'm participating in Yeah. to make sure that all my guys have what they need, that all my, cu my customers have what they need, that my wife and family and my children have what they need. And it, it's uncanny to me, the beauty of that. And I've really come to know those workings through being an entrepreneur. And I attribute that to the sovereignty that I have. It talk, what do you mean by that? Well, I don't have to politically answer to any other individual in respect to being told what, where, when, and how. Right. So, in saying that, I'm not completely sovereign because I have to provide the clearing for all of my people to receive what they need. But that's done according to my personal dictates. I don't have to do it the way any other person tells me to do it. I do it the way that I think it's the right way to do it. And if I make an error, I'm the one that receives the consequences for those errors. And inevitably, that's a way that God teaches me how maybe to do things better or not to do things that are harmful or good job. You did, a, you did it just right and it worked together. So that sovereignty, I believe, is something that we as human beings really need and that if we have a, our heart and our desire to do what's right and we find what it is that we receive joy in in whatever talent or propensity that we've been given and we operate on the terms that we're giving service to others for the things that we do there's just an immense amount of joy in that yeah i don't ever have to go home thinking ah my boss is just a <laughs> well you might but then you gotta look in the mirror i know <laughs> sometimes i'm a pretty hard driving taskmaster but you know i know how to manage myself at least most of the time yeah <laughs> oh man um I, I mean, there's a lot of things I want to talk about, but um, I, let's, 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 let's go here for a second. Because, again, I, I love your, I've always loved your outlook. And one of the things I love, um, you know, I love you, but the one thing I love about oh, your outlook thanks, yeah, is, um, you know, you're kind of, you, I mean, you're a man of the land. Like, like you, you make things that are solid. You do solid things. You know, you, you, um, you know, work with the earth, you work with wood, like you, you do things that, that, um, are, um, real, you know, that's the best way I could put it. However, 
you have this side of you that sees everything kind of in a, and you've, you know, you clearly done this in this interview, um, uh, you know, in a spiritual terms. Um, and, you know, how, um, how does that help you to um, um, make decisions on a day-to-day -day basis? You know, how does that affect the decision-making that you have having that perspective? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I usually, to be honest with you, I try to take myself and my selfish desires out of the equation. And I am prayerful. I ask my Heavenly Father what I should do in specific situations. And I rely on His guidance in many ways. And a lot, of, He answers my prayers in different ways. Sometimes I'll have a feeling or a, a an idea that just clicks me towards something, or many times serendipitous things will occur with other people, or I'll meet someone, or there's ways to to work through many problems. But part of my routine every day is that the very first thing I do is I pray and I meditate, and I ask. God to download into my mind and into my spirit what it is that I need to do that day. And so if I follow that roadmap that he gives to me, because it's uncanny that he literally will lay out my whole day for me. And I have to give myself some credit because it is the workings of my mind no, sure. and the care that I have about things. Well, and that, and with, that he... You know, he trusts you to give you that roadmap, but you're going to actually do your best to try to follow it. True. That's and a big I, deal. And I do. And I, I, it's been very valuable. So a lot of times decisions are somewhat made for me already just because of the circumstances and that I've been in tune and on the path that I'm supposed to be. I will say that I do receive some trials and some tests and what are you going to do with this situation and yeah you're kind of on your own here i'm pulling the training wheels off here <laughs> for you and so there's many times when i have to muddle through things or when i'm like hello are you there <laughs> and so you know and i i realize that at those times that's when i need to act on my own volition, the very best that I can. And I try to put other people and their needs first before mine. And I think in doing that, it makes people feel at ease and they recognize that genuinely I have their good interest is yeah. my, my, their best interest is in my mind. And I think God approves of my doing it that way. And it's not flawless because I've certainly made many, many errors that I've had to work through in times. And I've, you know, diverged off the path a little bit and got a, you know, a slap upside of the noggin yeah. in some way, proverbially. But all in all, to be able to make decisions with that kind of momentum and spiritual assistance. It's been a very good thing. Um, how do you handle failure? What's your, what's your philosophy and attitude when it comes to, to, you know, failing? Um, how do you see that? Well, I believe that we all are responsible. So when there's a failure, it's our responsibility to rectify that. And we need to do 
and I've in my can tell you several stories of where <laughs> I've had to dig tunnels and burrow underneath concrete slabs to fix broken pipes and <laughs> things like that that my guys didn't do right and then they were unwilling or didn't feel comfortable fixing it so I had to be the guy that went and did it and so if you take responsibility for everything that you do and many times responsibility for things that you didn't do it's in a way it's similar to I think how Jesus thought about things himself in that he took responsibility in a way for all of us and the things that we did yeah he took it upon himself so because i fall i consider myself to be a disciple of christ i hope i'm not offending anyone in your audience by saying that well if the, if, if so they've been offended many times <laughs> so it's okay uh, yeah <laughs> I, I'm proud of my discipleship, but I think that when I do that, I emulate him in my willingness to take responsibility for all of my own things and for the culpability of others that are in my realm mm -hmm. or my sphere of influence. And I take responsibility for them too, even at the price of me having to pay money or spend my time or or be embarrassed or you know try to cover something where where there was a shortage or where you were found wanting and yeah i made bad error on on measurements of material and yeah and i take responsibility for those kinds of things and so i i think that that's kind of in a nutshell um i want to i want to uh i want to go here a little bit um i've always thought of money as nothing more than energy you talked about kinetic energy you know um and there's and I've, so i've always thought of it as like stored energy like a battery and then you can use it to like um create more than like I could hire somebody to do more than what I could do because I have I, I have these this money to do that um but you've had a um kind of a interesting take on on that that as far as you know it's not it's not like storage in the sense that um you can just let it sit there and it'll it'll waste away like yeah. it's more circular in nature can, can you talk about that a little bit yeah I have a I read this somewhere. I don't want to take credit for me coming up with this idea, but it's something that I've learned about and I, I call it the vacuum law of prosperity. And money is a very interesting thing. And when you give money charitably, that that someone hasn't per se earned you're just donating it to them it's interesting that you create within your once again i'll refer to your sphere of influence you create a vacuum because you're giving something away and it literally on an esoteric level pulls in from another place to replace what you've given hmm. and many times the universe is more generous than we actually are so when you give you receive for whatever reason more than what you give and unfortunately in our world we have situations where we feel it's illusionary i think that there's shortages Right. And certainly there is momentary shortages and we're like, oh my gosh, well, how am well, I going to make payroll there, this week? There and is yada, scarcity. Yada. Like I, you know, I, my, my old saying, 
you know, scarcity is real. Shortages, shortages only come from government. But <laughs> <laughs> of course, <laughs> but we can go into that another time. Yeah, that's a whole nother. That's a, we can do a whole podcast on that topic. Yes, we could several. <laughs> anyway, but I found money is esoteric in that way, and uh, I don't want to oversimplify it because really there you do need to work and earn and deserve what you receive and back in the old days they had bartering systems i think coinage and currency has been something that's been around for a long time yeah. but in essence it's just money as a way to meter your bartering you know right. the system of bartering because everyone has needs and everyone has things that they can give so the money is just that gateway that allows there to be kind of some a, sort a of seamless a, yeah, transaction it, yeah it's it's i don't know i can't think of the word i'm trying to say but it, it's just like a yeah it, it's a way to to gauge and monitor to make sure that we're receiving because sometimes in bartering, it, that system well, might be out of balance. If, if I, if I, yeah, well, if I have eggs and you have a telescope, I may not want a telescope, but you want my eggs. Like, how does that? Now you got to go find somebody with a telescope exactly. to trade something that I want. <laughs> like it gets, yeah, it gets pretty complex. Right. And so money is a is a way to rectify that complexity. And then, unfortunately, there are those who have learned how to manipulate that system to their advantage and uh done in the right way we all want to manipulate the system to our advantage but not to the disadvantage of others yeah and so as long as we're scratching someone else's back and they're scratching ours in a in a really evened out way then you can have a good clean conscience but but you're it, saying you're saying that even more than that like when you see we often talk about the extra mile like going the extra mile and you never uh, you know you never lack work that's like one of the secrets to success is, is to always go the extra mile but it kind of goes the other way like if you give the extra dollar like that's one way to, to maintain your prosperity in a very strange way. Yeah, it, it's very, there's a lot of ironies in life and that happens to be one of the ironies. Um, you can think, when I talk about ironies, uh, just believing in God is ironic because we can't see him, yeah. but we know he's there. Uh, you know, fasting, we go without food, but yet we need food. You know, faith is we pay our tithes and off offerings you know all all of these things are are intrinsically ironic right so we have to trust that when we give selflessly that something somehow is going to return to us now we might not receive it in the form of money right it may come in some completely different way. We may have a different need that might not be able to be met with money, but when we're giving the extra that we have, then we will receive something somewhere in a respect of what it is that we need because we all have needs and we all have desires that need to be fulfilled. And so I believe that when you get in that circle and have that momentum, I use that word again, momentum, yeah. that it's, you will be, you will find your homeostasis. Let's put it that way. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Your spiritual and physical homeostasis. Yeah. And it's always fluctuating. There's always little, you know, bumps in the road and, you know, there's washes that the wagon has to go through and over, but ultimately, you know, things come to us as we need. And I think of the fifth chapter of Matthew and the sixth chapter of Matthew a lot where God knows all the hairs of our head and all the little sparrows and 
Yeah. You know, the lilies and the flowers, they grow and they beautify things and they don't have to think, take no thought for tomorrow. Let tomorrow take thought, you know, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, all these things shall be added unto you. I'm a very firm believer in those principles and I've tested them and tried them over and over again in my life. And am I wealthy? Yes, I am by in in the average of the world standards i am relative to people that i associate with i'm very mediocre maybe less affluent than some people but in my heart mind and according to what i desire i have every single thing that i really hope for and desire yeah god has provided me with and I believe that that was me driving that, and he's blessed me. That's that's powerful. Um, will you come again? Can we talk more about sure. this and other things? Absolutely, <laughs> my pleasure. That would be great. Matt, I want to apologize. I hope I didn't sound like I was tooting my horn. <laughs> no I, pun intended. Matt's a trumpet player, so <laughs> we have fun together, don't we? Yes, we do. <laughs> well, Matt Wharton, thanks for, for being on And If Love Remains. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. My pleasure. You are listening to And If Love Remains. The first of 23 installments requested by Dr. Levitt trying to be in compliance here because we're taking him and that whole organization to 